0: Hola! Welcome to Pocha So What? I am Maggie. And I'm Lenny. This is episode numero 6 of season 1. In today's conversation, we're going to dive into... Mobility. What does movement represent to a community that has historically been in exile? Lenny and I both migrated undocumented to the U.S. We have little to no connection to Mexico. We were living in what some people called a golden cage. After we were forced to return to Mexico, once again, we had to
1: let go of our community and our town, not knowing if we would ever be able to go back. For Maggie, it took eight years to go back to the United States. And for me, it took nine years. From this day forward, we basically had this piece of plastic that said we we were granted authorization to be able to go back to our families, loved ones, and communities. Join us in this episode as we both share more about our process and what it means for us to have mobility between the U.S. and Mexico. So I can already feel it in my bones.
0: This is going to be a very intense conversation. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask first, Lenny, did it ever cross your mind that you would actually one day Go back to the United States, to Florida, to those playas to eat that Borico food como did it ever cross your mind that you, Lenny in Mexico would one day be able to cross the border again and go back?
1: No, not really. Not really. Um I left the US as a sixteen year old and I left truly thinking like I would never go back. I left, I kind of just disappeared, you could say. So no, I had never really thought about going back to the U.S. Um, I left as a 16-year-old and I left kind of disappearing like from my high school. I never really told anybody except one friend. And within the people that I really cared about, it was like mi abuelo y mi abuela and como esos family members that, that were amistades but became family in the States and it was the most painful part of leaving but I guess I never really thought I would be able to see them again and I had kind of told myself I had to forcibly close this chapter in my life. And even though, like, my mom would always say, like, I want you to go back to the U.S. or you'll get a visa, as you may be, like, working in an international company and then being able to go back and forth, no? And as well, within our own community, we face these things called bars. We will have a whole episode on this. But our community faces between three to five to ten to lifetime bans Where just because of living in the U.S., and in this case undocumented, coming back, like in the case of my parents, who didn't precisely go through a deportation process, they already had a 10-year ban just stepping foot into Mexico. How about you, Maggie? I mean, I went through a period of researching,
0: and I did read that if I left the country before the age of 18 and 6 months... Technically, I wouldn't have any unlawful presence, so I had like that thing pressuring me as well, whether if I should leave the U.S. and go back to Mexico. Plus, you know, we have all those family members que te dicen como, oh, you speak English, you're gonna have a good mm-hmm. job. You vas estudiar y un día pues vas a regresar. And mm-hmm. but like deep down, I knew that I wasn't gonna go back. Like I knew that it was. I mean, I've, I've said it before. Como it's I, I really related to like when a family member passes away. Like there's no. There's this feeling of like there's no way back. There's no way to like fix or bring that person again or cross that border again. And deep down, obviously, I felt like a failure. I, I was frustrated at the government, at the country, the US, and everything. But there was like this little, little, little tiny speck of hope that maybe if I finish university and if I get a job, and maybe one day I'll come back and like just prove the United States that my life wasn't over because I left the country, right? So there was like this tiny speck of hope, but then this reality that it was like, no, like once you cross, like, ya yeah, no vas a poder regresar. So... So I think that was my feeling as well of like and a diferencia de ti como I did say my goodbyes to all my friends my teachers I got all these letters of recommendations from all the places I volunteered my church como I went through a, a month of like just basically saying goodbye to everybody
1: and I was like by U.S. in general, no? Um, but that's really interesting, because even while I was back in Mexico, like, I never even considered about even applying to a visa because of a fear of rejection. And I was even looking into, like, scholarships to go study in a Korean university. Like, there was this um, one that I wanted to go to that was an all-women's one. Um, and I was really, really into K-pop and K-dramas. So I was even, like, looking at other countries. I guess it was easier to look more. The other way, instead of looking back.
0: So we want to share a little bit of our experience, because as Lenny mentioned at the beginning, como a mí me costó ocho años to go back to the United States, y a Lenny, nine. So we have both been able to go back to the U.S. Previous episodes, I've talked about Los Otros Dreamers, which is this book that was edited by Jill Anderson and La Fotografa Nin Solis. And I was a co-author along with 25 other compañeres, also returnees deportees. The book was published in 2014. And one day out of nowhere, I get an email from Jill inviting me to go to California to present the book. So the book was part of different tours, tanto in México como Estados Unidos. And I mean, it caught me by surprise, come I was like, well, yeah, but I can't travel to the US. Yo ya tenía casi ocho años en México. And she says, well, you can apply for a B1, B2 business tourist visa, which is the visa that anybody that wants to travel to the US as a non-immigrant, they have to apply. And you go to the US embassy or the US consulates, in um, este caso en México, and I was like, okay, I'll do the process. In this case, my trip was sponsored by the University of California in Fullerton. Y esto fue en 2015. So I remember I checked um, online. I looked up the application. Um, I talked to like one or two people to try to get some orientation. But at the end, I did the process by myself. So I filled out the application. Te preguntan pues muchas cosas, no? especially about... The reason of your trip, y las fechas, y when you're coming back, and your parents, and if you have ever been unlawfully in the US, if you have ever gone through like a deportation or removal. That's like preguntas. Ahora ya hasta te piden como tu Facebook and to social media and like everything. But I filled out the application, I paid the $160, I s- scheduled the interview, I came down to Mexico City from San Luis Potosí. And I remember I had my interview super early and I did all the process como me fui a la embajada it was a very hostile place como te gritan estás en una fila y te gritan como no cell phones no like nothing tienes que entrar solo con tu passport y tu papel de tu application so I went in and I did the whole process Y it was scary. I mean, at first I was like trying to tell, to tell myself, Come on, if I don't get the visa, it's okay, come on, no big deal, I'll be fine. But then when it was my turn to get to the ventanilla with like the actual uh, person that interviewed me, I remember I, I me tocó con una senora that looked a lot like my third grade teacher. Shout out to Ms. Wakeman that I'm still in touch with her. And I remember, like, me pregunto como a qué iba y todo esto. I told her about los otros streamers. I told her that I had lived in the US. Bueno, ya cuando vió en mi application, empecé a hablar. Es, Es inglés. But I wasn't also the best candidate. Como, I was working in Domino's Pizza. I was earning like $150 a month. I was still in school. Como, no tenía properties, ni tenía dinero, ni una bank account, ni nada. I just told her, like, you know, my trip is being paid by this university. I'm going to present. And this person just told me, like, wait, I need to talk to my supervisor. And at that point, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to get the visa. But she comes back and she's like, okay, I'm going to trust that you know the consequences if you overstay your visa. And I'm going to give you a 10 year visa. It was never your fault and i couldn't like understand those words i was like wait like is the visa just for the presentation and she was like no i said i'm giving you a 10-year visa and at that point i remember ya como que quería terminar, and just leave the building and then i asked about my parents i was like but can my parents apply and she was like i don't think they'll get a. they'll ever go back to the us and those words were just like Those were her last words. So it was like this mixture of like, como felicidad, and I couldn't believe that I was getting this visa, but at the same time, her final words were like, your parents are never going back. So it was like, how do you manage the excitement of you thinking that you're going to go back, but at the same time knowing that your parents can't. And I have this mobility, but they're not gonna have it. So I left the building and I couldn't believe it. I went to my friend's house, Jill's house, and I told her, I had like this poker face, and she was like, <laughs> you didn't get it, right? And I was like, no, I got it. But I was still like in this, I couldn't think, like, como que no estaba yo, no? And after that was, I went to the US for the first time in October of 2015. I'll tell you more about that later on. But all of this led to a project que se llama Visa Justice Project within ODA. We've also talked about Otros Dreams and Acción before and uh, the organization here in Mexico City. And basically after my experience and the experience of like a couple other compañeres from Los Otros Dreamers, we decided to turn this into a project in the organization. And ever since we've been accompanying a lot of returnees, um, a couple of deportees, and as a way to bring justice, no? Como mobility justice. And I don't know, Lenny, do you want to share about your experience and how that came to be?
1: Yeah, and even just grabbing onto that word of visa justice, it's ironic how we go back to the U.S. In my case, I was also able to obtain a visa, a B-1, B-2 visa, through invitations of universities and basically through invitations to go back to the U.S. and talk about the process of return and deportation and what our community is going through in Mexico and to translocally start conversations on both sides of the border and in multiple spaces. So it was 2019? Three years ago, yes. So this time, Maggie called me up. Así como yo sabes. It was Maggie who called me up, and she told me to, to go on over uh, to Ola. So I went, and she told me about um, an invitation to go as, you could say, as voceros of the community um, to a trip in California, a tour, where we were going to be talking about our experiences and sharing our stories. And I was like... As I shared, I never really had even considered applying for a visa. That day, I had a conversation with a lawyer called Carlos Spector, and he is someone that I know Maggie can share a bit more about.
0: Yeah, so shout out to Carlos Spector. He's in El Paso, Texas. Mm -hmm. He's part of Mexicanos en Exilio, which is a nonprofit there. He's one of the few attorneys that has really supported and has even won a few cases of Mexicans who are escaping state violence and narco violence, who have had family members murder, and even like como pueblos completos have disappeared because of the narco and the estado. So he has um, a big trayectoria, no, trabajando con casos de asilo. And he, since we met him, he was on board with us, and he actually gives orientation talks with the community that are applying for visas.
1: Mm-hmm. So super, super shout out to Scar- to Carlos, um, sending a lot of hugs all the way to Tejas. And I had a conversation with him. It was a super quick conversation because in my case, once again, I ha- highlighting, I came back as a 16 year old. As Maggie shared, in my case, I didn't have registered unlawful presence, even though some community, community members have gotten bans once they go and apply for a visa. So that was also an internalized fear. It was like one, rejection. Another, that de paso, they would deny me and put me a ban. And just a parenthesis there, como a lot of
0: people in our community tienen miedo también because they ask about your family members, como your parents, your siblings. So if you have undocumented parents Mm -hmm. or undocumented siblings, many people in our community pues no quieren como poner eso because they feel that just giving out that
1: information, pues los puede poner en riesgo, ¿no? Así es. And I mentioned to Carlos, okay, at this time I came back when I was 16, I have nine years that I've been living back in Mexico, I currently work like in a tech company, um, I'm earning this salary, I have gone to university, even though I still don't have my cedula or have completed my thesis, I've done a lot of those things, no? And he was like, like, basically like, girl, you're good to go, <laughs> like, apply. But I was like, what do I have to lose? Like, I, I, I guess at this moment, what made me take the decision to apply was that I had a support network because they were going to support in paying the visa process. They already had the lawyer with me And the only other thing I had to lose was basically my emotional suffrage if I were to get denied or a ban. Therapy. Yeah, that then would be channeled to therapy, no? So I did it. And I also was able to receive some letters from my job. And when I went to the appointment... First, I had to apply for it, and Maggie was there to guide me through all the questions, because as she shared, they ask you about unlawful presence, they ask you about your family, where are they located, toda esa información. Just somebody, como dices, As as a community that really has never had mobility or known what just having un pasaporte or una visa or just traveling for the weekend or going on vacations meant all of these things were so so foreign so I had my outfit like I was ready for that day but of course when that day came like I was super super nervous uh, Maggie accompanied me that that morning and there's only a certain point that that people can can reach mm-hmm. unless you have una cita in my case and I entered I was also told turn off your cell phone like all of these things and I guess I remember the space more like a cafeteria space it's kind of like that beige yellow color vibe and como he says, there was a lot of windows i had four windows in front of me there was two women there was one guy that looked like he was santa claus um and then there was this other dude that looked kind of more my age i i kind of wanted que me tocara a mí con él. because you could observe Kind of the faces and kind of the vibes of the people that were leaving those windows. And I felt that with the women, I was seeing a lot of sad faces. Um, with the guy that looked like Santa Claus, he also looked like somebody very strict. And like somebody that was just kind of saying, next, next. And this dude, I don't know, I just like internally was kind of like praying, like, Que me toque con el, que me toque con el, y me toco con el. And I went to, stood in front of him, just only a couple of seconds. I think it was just presentándome in Spanish and the rest was in English. He asked me multiple, multiple times about my family. So I think kind of trying to see if I would uh, mess up or if I was lying. He, he also did that thing of going to ask his um, supervisor. He took my passport. I had a bunch of letters from the universities. He didn't even like accept them. He was like, I don't need them. And he took my passport and I was like, they're probably going to like rip it and just entregarmelo destruido, no? And like, bye. And he duró unos minutos. I was scared. And he came back and he told me, I believe you. Like, but good luck at the border because they might not believe you. And once again, it's kind of that reinforcement. Like, it wasn't your fault. Like, I believe you. Like, up to who is it to believe me, no? And... What laws or like by what guidebook are you saying like this person is authorized to go or not?
0: It's very arbitrary, yeah. discretional. It's very important to say that because for for them, every Mexican is a oh, liar. Oh, and already como. just us like being more brown. Yeah, if you're brown, if you look from a working class, como, yeah. because it's really up to the discretion of that person. Like that person gets to decide whether that person thinks that you are worthy or that you are trustworthy or that you deserve to go back. And that's really messed up because there's no accountability. There are no ways to appeal. Like you just get denied, you just spent that money, you just gave all your biometrics and your information, and they can tell you no off the bat. And this is like one of the main reasons why many of our community have to figure out other ways to cross the border, because many times they tried to apply for visas, they were denied, and then they had to figure out other ways, which meant crossing the border undocumented. And I think we need to talk about mobility more, Y, y como justo este ambiente tan arbitrario que hay en la embajada.
1: For sure for sure and i think we can have like a whole sit down with other community members be it uh returnees and deportees that have been able to obtain mobility and was be able to advocate as well como this is no like that having ties to our family in the united states it's a point against us at this moment no it's not something in favor and even that concept of like family reunification visas is something that our community brings up because many times now being back in mexico like we're not I know a lot of community members are seeking citizenship, but we know that's so far away still, and and it's still such a big lucha in the United States that for our community member, we just want to be able to see our families. Like we just want to be able to spend Christmas together. As as you guys have been living, as the world has been living, like we have been living moments in our families in our lives through videos, through screens. But this is something that our community has lived for decades. The dude told me basically like, te creo, good luck at the border. They can take this away from you at any time. Which they can. Yeah, yeah. Every single time we cross, we always have like este nervio that they will take it away. And one of the things that I remember of that day, because they have like all the 50 flags, the states of the flags in in, in the embassy. The last flag that was outside to get to the door that was opened was the Floridian flag. After
0: all of this, como... Did you feel different after that day? Come
1: on. I think I share a lot that feeling of bittersweetness. Mm-hmm. Bittersweetness because my parents still don't have a visa, and it has been over 11 years. Bittersweet because even my boyfriend at the time, what, like, he has kids in the United States and hasn't been able to go back and have that family reunification. And I kind of felt kind of a guilt. Like, if I could give away my visa, like... I, like I think I at that moment like I would say like the loy no so you can go back and see your kids or for my parents like so you can go back and see my brothers no but at the same time I think it has been uh, this this process of like you have this resource now and I've learned that a lot from you seeing it as this resource and the work that we do and further on we'll share in the episode is advocating for our community when we go. I was also
0: talking the other day with another friend also who was able to fix her status in the United States and and she was a DACA recipient and she was able to get her residence card not too long ago. And she shared about her experience coming to Mexico because her brother was deported and her parents returned to, to live with her brother. So now basically all her family is here in Mexico and they can't go back to the U S and she couldn't come to Mexico because she had DACA and like we all know Trump and like DACA and all that stuff. So she was able to get her papers and she came like during the pandemic last year. And we talked about like this process of feeling guilty. Como Mm -hmm. I got my visa in 2015. And even still now, como the first four years, it's this feeling of like, I have this piece of paper and so many people in my community, so many loved ones and friends can't go to visit their families, como decía Lenny, to have this mobility. So it's this feeling of guiltiness. But también después, como, like, as, como pasan los años, como también I realized that it is a resource. But at the end of the day, como we've talked about it, like Lenny and I, like it was the, the first time I got a passport was when I applied for my visa. So you ya tenía 25. And it was the
1: first time we ever even got on a plane.
0: Yeah, it was the first time we got on a plane. It was the first time I had ever had a passport, a Mexican passport, because it's not something common in our community to travel to other countries because we were undocumented for so many years in the U.S. and we couldn't travel. Y ahora en México, pues, we're trying to survive. It's not like we can go to Europe, like, in a year. Como, we we didn't have this, we've never had this mobility. Y como decíamos al principio, overnight, we get this piece of paper that suddenly nos coloca en un lugar de privilegio when we're basically learning how to deal with this piece of paper. <laughs> Till this
1: day, like, I don't even hold my visa. You I are. have a memory problem. So, like, Maggie, like, keeps it for me. Because I don't even know, like, how, como dices, to manage this document. Yeah,
0: like, so many people have it for granted, ¿no? Como you're born in a family that can travel, and it's so easy for you as a baby to have your passport and your visa, or you don't even need a visa, um, and you grow up traveling back and forth between different countries and in our in our migrant community, como undocumented, deportada, retornada, we don't have that. So it's really interesting to think about it that way. But nowadays, como I see it as a as a resource, but I also see it as a. Moment to to hold justice, como tanto to advocate and to organize and to show people on that side what's happening on this side, and and allow my community here to have spaces to talk about what's happening to them, yeah. whether it's from video calls or having events, etc. Pero es una manera de advocate y una manera de seguir luchando for family reunification to for put mobility.
1: To and to say we are here too.
0: I went with Jill and baby Gaia, and Jill's mom was waiting for us also. And we went on a tour. We went to San Diego, Sacramento, LA. It was like a week, more than a week of events, going to Mexican consulates and to universities. I remember the first thing that happened to me when I got off the plane. Cuando salí de la Mm gate, I was staring at a drinking water fountain. Tenía ocho años sin ver. A drinking water fountain, and, and I remember Jill went to the bathroom and took Gaia. and no sé qué, couldn't believe like where I was, como the people, the yeah. noise, the como se, it, it was like a super sunny day. Y los windows, glass windows, como se veía el cielo azul, and like I just couldn't believe that I was there. There, uh-huh. totally,
1: totally get you. So I, I I rode my first plane to Tijuana and we landed in the Tijuana airport and then we crossed through the bridge. I crossed alongside with Maggie, with Victor, otro compañero retornado, and with Maurice, otra compañera eh, retornada. And we were basically the delegation that was going to the U.S. And like, I I, I guess like you had to pinch me. I love always saying this, but it was amazing. And it was such, such a powerful moment. Because on the other uh, side, you could say, uh, Patrice Kohler and Noe was waiting for us. Wait, uh,
0: Patrice Kohler's
1: Yes, Black Who is Lives she? Matter.
0: <laughs> Black Lives Matter.
1: Co-founder. Yes, co-founder of Black Lives Matter. And this shows also solidarity within our own communities. They had rented a van for us, they had drive uh, all the way down from LA to San Diego to pick us up, so super, super shout out and muchisimas gracias. Recuerdo que Noah took us to his favorite um, diner. diner that he would go to with his dad and he shared that moment with us. Uh, Patrice paid my first meal sausage. after nine years. Yes, sausage, hash browns. Hot hash browns, pancakes, maple syrup. It was so, so surreal. I remember the first thing I saw on the highway. First of all, como que this instinct kicked in where I even put my seatbelt on. <laughs> <laughs> because in Mexico, you lose a poco esa costumbre, la verdad. I'm, First, I'm, we don't get to be on a car that no, often. No, no, yeah, yeah. I still don't even know how to drive and I'm 26. <laughs> but yeah, unless you're like a co pilot or something, ya está, so if You put it on if you want. Um, so, como que my, my instinct kicked in where I put it on my my cinturón. We were on the highway and I saw a trailer that was a landscaping. Mm. And I remember just seeing that and remembering, like, when my dad would get on the highway with his his trailer. I remember he told me. Yes, and his landscaping equipment. And then when we got to the restaurant, it was also really surreal where, like, La Mesera, she was a white lady, but, like, the dishwasher, like, the, the cooks, they were brown, like... Like, no sé si era mexicanos, like, I don't want to stereotype, but like, they were brown mm-hmm. and they were talking in Spanish, and I even, like, I didn't know if I should talk like in Spanish or in English, and it's also so close to the border, and at the same time, I kind of had this moment of just acknowledging, like, one, I lived not knowing I was undocumented, so I lived very oblivious to what it meant to be una mexicana indocumentada, a brown girl indocumentada en Estados Unidos hasta my last few months in the United States and seeing my community members and I I mean this like my brown people era como you're the server like 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 really acknowledging like you're the person that is picking the fruit like you're that person como que pues estás sirviendo a este país pero también es como kind of I saw my parents in 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 them And it brought kind of like tears in my eyes because I was like, they work so hard in this country, and they kept so much Mm -hmm. to themselves, and they had to maybe recibir un mal gesto de un cliente algo así, but they never shared that with me. So
0: it was a space of acknowledgement. I think yeah, we definitely return with with a whole other concept of what it is knowing like we pay more attention to the details yes. to people around us como i think that has really happened a lot especially when we go to events or conferences where we're staying at these fancy hotels and it's like this is not like me like i didn't grow <laughs> up like coming to these fancy hotels yeah. like what should my role be like being here no is and And looking at people, like every time I go, I get to talk with all of the people in the restaurants working. les digo muchas veces les hago platica les digo vengo de mexico and I get to hear from them like this nostalgia como. De, ah, ¿de qué parte? No, pues de la Ciudad de México. And they're like, oh, yo también vi- nací ahí, ¿no? Y luego me preguntan como, ¿cómo está el centro? ¿O cómo, está ¿Cómo, tal- está o, ¿Cómo está tal? ¿Cómo está
1: México? ¿Cómo está
0: tal colonia? And you just realize that our community is in exile as, yeah. way, as well in the United States. Y que muchos de nuestros papás, como yo nunca le pregunté a mis papás tampoco, no, like, do you miss my grandparents? Do you miss yeah. your pueblo? Como, yeah. it's, it, como que todo eso me viene... Como ahora that I get to travel and I get to interact with people that are working over there. Y me cuentan, tienen miedo a la migra, tienen Mm -hmm. miedo, but they do it for their kids and so that they have a better life. And it's like suddenly I'm like a witness of from their side, and, and, and I put myself in this in the shoes of the kids, no, que, que a lo mejor no les han preguntado. So like, if you're one of them and your parents are undocumented or they're just, they fix their status, but they're hardworking parents, como ask them, like, how do they feel? Who do they miss? Like, when be I'm able to acknowledge what they have been able, what, what they have been forced to give up because of crossing that border and and, and how they're dealing with it. Maybe they don't talk about it, but maybe you could start conversations around that.
1: That's what I was going to share. How they have faced and missed, but also acknowledging that our generation, first we come from this generation of the movement of undocumented and unafraid, that Maggie and I left before this. So we, we still were part of that generation that lived in the shadows, no? But our parents, have they ever truly gone through that process of undocumented and unafraid? Like, no, like within their generation, they haven't lived through that. And even with my mom and with a lot of our parents, they have internalized this word of illegal. They have internalized, así como with the DACA narrative of like, it wasn't your fault. It was your parents that brought you to this country. Like they, they like kind of say like, yo, yo fui la culpable o yo fui el culpable, no? But to be able to, to just have these spaces and these moments of conversations with our parents is something that it's 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 invaluable.
0: What does having this mobility and this authorization between the US and Mexico mean to you, to your family, to your community? Has your concept of mobility changed over time? Me pone a pensar mucho in this resource and every day I think, how can I use this resource? Not only for me, but to raise awareness, to continue demanding and fighting for justice for our community. Yeah. And I think something that we've been doing in ODA, como every time we go on a trip, um, para hablar de ODA y de la comunidad, como we have this intimate space, like a circle with our community that can't travel. And we, we acknowledge that they can't travel, and we acknowledge what we're carrying with yes. us when we travel to the US. And it's not just ourselves, but it's also our community, and it's also our demands. And I think my concept of mobility has definitely changed over time. Como as Lenny mentioned earlier, a lot of people are demanding for citizenship. And I think citizenship is important. And I think it's deeper than that. Como our community in Mexico, we've come back, we've shared that we've been undocumented the first weeks, the first months. We've shared that having a citizenship or having papers is not enough for our community. Y eso lo vemos aquí en México, Because at the end, there's this racism, there's this classism, there's this bureaucracy, Mm -hmm. impunity. There's like so many things that just having a piece of paper that says that you're a citizen.
1: And and even in the U.S., with even like our Black Lives Matter movement, with our undocumented community, uh, with the Asian community, like we realized that having a piece of paper that says that you belong here doesn't per se protect you from racism racism, doesn't, per se, give you a dignified life.
0: And I think many people in our community, como they've said, like, you know, I just want to be able to work. I just want to not be afraid of deportation. And I think we also need to ask ourselves that question. Como, does citizenship repair and restore justice to Mm -hmm. our communities? Como is a piece of paper and, and knowing the Pledge of Allegiance and having your photo with the U.S. flag, como, yeah. will that bring reparation and justice say and accountability to our community? <laughs> como our community and in all that, in and, and the concept of mobility, I think that I have really learned to say I'm fighting for mobility. I'm fighting because I want my brother to come to Mexico. I want to be able to go to the U.S., I want me gente to, to not have to give up Mexico yeah. and a bunch of people our age to have to grow up not knowing about Mexico, not knowing about the communities, not knowing about what's happening this ter- in this territorio, And vice versa, como I just want mobility, I want families to be together, I want people to have dignity, despite if they have papers or not, como people over papers
1: exactly I think you said it all I think mobility even before obtaining this visa this piece of paper I knew very clearly I understood mobility as a human right. but once you have obtained this piece of paper that gives you this authorization to go just the emotional process that I had to go through which is not a lot of our community members have been able to even go through this emotional process is that Mobility is a human right Like Everybody should be able To spend time with their families Like we shouldn't have to decide Or give up One country or another One space One community or another Y como Just being able to come back to Mexico And finish growing up here And like Going back to Chiapas, as I shared in in previous episodes, like, being able to see people more like me, like, I wonder what that could have changed in my life if I could have had more of a back-and-forth process. Yeah. Like, and this is something that can never be repaired. Like, this is something, por más de que arreglen y queden ciudadanía y todo eso... Like, it's still not going to repair my dad not being able to see his mom in his deathbed. Like, it's not going to repair all the years we grew up without our cousins. Like, all the years. Not knowing our grandparents. Yeah, not knowing our grandparents. Like, coming back truly to a foreign land because, como dices. We say as as a returned and deported community here that we live in exile. But I think, like, you mentioned this episode, like, our community in the united states is also living in exile and uh through this writing that i shared with maggie i reflected that in my 26 years i've basically lived around 24 25 years of family separation for a long time as a pocha retornada i thought i had just gone through 11 years of family separation but after truly being able to go back and forth i've acknowledged that it has been 24, 25 years of family separation Because while I was in the U.S., even though I didn't feel it What my parents were going through We were living separated from our families Yeah And in all my trips that I have gone to the U.S., except for one of them It has been a family um, participation Other than that, it has all, all been para la comunidad And... I hope that tanto El Espacio de Pocha, como sé que El Espacio de Oda, pues continuará advocating and uplifting and trying to open up these spaces for more community members to be able to go back as well.
0: There are many people in our community that have applied for B1B2 visas, and they have been denied not once, twice, three times. I have even a, a community member who applied like six times, and hasta la sexta, she was able to get the visa, but... But what does it mean to be denied and be be rejected? Like, I was very privileged enough to have been accepted the first first time. time. But I've witnessed a lot of people that I dearly love in my community that I'm there waiting for them outside the embassy, um, and they come out, and and I see in their face, like, it's a denied. Son muy pocas las veces where it's an approval. It's usually a denial in in what does that mean to our community and to their emotional process and their in their reality. Not only emotional, it's it's a fact, it's a reality that they're growing up away from their siblings, from from their parents. And as we know, with COVID-19, I think it has really shown many people in the world that now you have to to attend vu- funerals and family events over video calls. And our community has endured this kind of painful isolation for decades. And as you said, como, but this is this, this is not normal and we shouldn't normalize no. or accept it. And I think we'll continue to, to advocate and demand this mobility and this family reunification. And we really want to eliminate the three, the 10-year bars. Yeah. So that's one of the main obstacles that our community faces. Without this, they can't even apply for any sort of status in the United States. Um, So we want to eliminate the bars. We want to fight for family reunification visas. As Lenny mentioned earlier, one of the main reasons to get a visa denied right now is if you have family. For our deported and returned community, one of the main reasons to get denied is if you actually say that you have family. And at the end, many people travel to visit their families. It should be a point in our favor and not against us, to be honest and tell them we have family, and I want to see them.
1: Okay, like this is a lot to process, and and I know it is, and thank you for joining us till this point. But as well, there is some legislations that are going on in the U.S., particularly the new way forward that is is integrating into its legislation, like wanting to to re- eradicate these bans. And so and
0: this whole criminalization discourse, yeah, I think that we also need to. The deportation to, machine. We need to talk about what. Does this criminalization look like? Y como nuestra comunidad, pues es doblemente criminalizada, ¿no? If someone committed some sort of mistake, Everybody has committed mistakes in their life, but our community, our deported and returned community, and even permanent residents, because of the IRA-IRA 1996 laws, yeah. many people, if they go through the criminal justice system, they end up in the immigration system, and it's like this double jeopardy where it's justified to deport mm-hmm. those people that have committed some sort of crime. We don't even know what kind of crime, and even despite that, again, como there's no justification on why deport and, and, and like, arrancar a alguien de su comunidad, de su familia, and send them to this other place where they don't know anybody, where they're in a very vulnerable situation. I mean, tearing apart families is not it, it is not reparation and is not justice for anybody. So, like, we also need to have these conversations about criminalization and what our community is Going through, tanto allá como after deportation or returning, mm-hmm. I think that's a reality. So as Lenny said, if you feel like you want to do something right now, Otros Dreams en Acción is part of the Leave No One Behind mural project, mm-hmm. which is advocating for the New Way Forward Act. You can call your Congress officials and tell them to um, support the New Way Forward. And to if you want to host a community event in your locality, just reach out to Otros Dreams en Acción or Pocha Soğuar. Or check out Leave No One Behind Mural Project on social media. And you can host and have a mural in your community and do an event where you invite your congressional officials and you talk with your community about deportation and forced return. So if you want to do something, here you go.
1: And in this mural, uh, one of the first murals that was uh, drawn by Javier, ported artist, shout out to deported ported artist. It, it has a lot of compas y compañeras chingonas um, that are advocating for a family reunification, for, to bring deported veterans home um, in an upcoming mural, Maggie and I will also be going up on it and hoping to be able to go and put this mural in our community, so. And if you're a US citizen and you're feeling like
0: you don't know what to do, come on, call your congressional representatives, come on, reach out to yeah. your, like, they're gonna do something if the constituents are pressuring. Mm-hmm. So like talk with your neighbors, with your families, with your coworkers. And as a US citizen, I think you you can have these conversations with people and be like, you know what? These are these people. Share our podcast yeah. este, and tell them who so that they can know who we are and we can start shifting these narratives that are so violent and, and that they're harming so many people that they have harmed so many people in our communities um so and that's,
1: that's why what exists
0: exactly so be sure to check out the new way forward act reach out to your congressional officers leave no sh- one
1: behind Merle.
0: check out leave no one behind murals let's take a deep <laughs> breath but to close <laughs> up this is episode six as i mentioned we have one more episode left yes. and we will finish season one how do you feel about that
1: wow it has been amazing thank you to everyone if you have made it this far join us in our season finale and mucho mucho must to come and at the same time just how we started our first episode to where we are. Ya hay musiquita, ya hay sound effects, pero también even our vision of what Pocha What and what we desire for Pocha What to be. That's has evolved. Yeah, it has evolved just from episode one to episode six. And thank you so much to everybody that has supported us along the way and have given us feedback, reached out and said like, I connected with this, I related to this, or I had never heard of this and like... Wow, no? And we want to start these conversations, and I think we have started them, and we'll all of continue our,
0: All of our social media community, como shout out a todas y todos yes. los que nos escriben en Instagram, sobre todo, yes. where all the magic happens, and all the connections happen beyond the podcast. Yeah. So in the next episode, we're going to be talking a lot about what's next, cuáles son nuestros aprendizajes tanto... Pues de todo lo que ya les compartimos about ourselves pero todo lo que hemos aprendido in these last three four months the season one mm-hmm. como dice Lenny we've learned a lot we have so many things that we want to share in our last episode with all of you y we're excited about season two. Thank you for, for sharing the space with us today. And yes.
1: And join us in the last episode as well to learn a bit more about us. We are Pochas. We are Mujeres Retornadas.
0: A lot that meets the, the eye.
1: Wars. There's aliens out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> pues síganos in social media. Yes. Pocha So What? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, website. Todo. Thank you. Bye. Bye.